Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome to the advocate with your host nick phillips and now here's your host nick phillips good evening cleveland nick phillips with you with another edition of the advocate thank you so much for joining us and as we are nearing the end of 2020 that that famous year that will live in our memories for a long time we're going to do what we do every year and that is to review the year with our our favorite uh political and news commentator, Bob France. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Nick. How are you? How many years have we been doing this? A lot. I, yeah, I, think, I want to say this is number five or six. Well, well the, the years have rolled by very, very quickly. But, uh, you know, for those of you who know of and listen to Bob France, he needs no introduction. For those of you listening tonight who haven't listened to Bob France and don't know who we're talking about, let me say a few words about Bob as a way of introducing him. Um, he has the morning talk show on uh, WHK, Monday through Friday from 9 to 11. And uh, I know that he prepares for his political and his news commentary constantly. It's something that's 24-7 for Bob, and he's always well-informed and is able to share what's going on. So, Bob, thank you for, for being here in Cleveland, and thanks for doing that all these years. Absolutely, it's. Uh, I would. Uh, I would rather do it nowhere else. To be hundred percent honest with you, I absolutely love our radio station. I love Salem, and I'm very, very fortunate to be here. Well, I love, love uh, having you here. Love just listening to your voice because I, it sounds so familiar after all these years. But 2020, what what a year! It's a year that everyone who's living and will have a memory of this will remember 2020. And I know back in January and February of 2020, uh, we were. Boy, were we happy people. We were, if anything, getting bored because life was so routine. And then March happened and the coronavirus happened. Uh, as, as that struck you, uh, just generically, how do you read 2020? What, what do we do with uh, looking back at 2020 now? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's unlike any other year any of us have experienced. And I think I can feel pretty safe in saying that considering the last time we had, you know, a pandemic like this was 1918. So I don't know how many people are listening right now or alive right now who are uh, there for that one. Um, so it's for most of us, if not all of us, it's, an unlike, it's unlike any other year in that regard. But I would say it is definitely unlike any other year when you add the, the COVID uh, you know, at the time we were just calling it the coronavirus or the Chinese coronavirus or what have you before somebody nicknamed it COVID-19. Um, you know, when that happened in March, that was one thing. But then, you know, shortly thereafter that, we had the George Floyd incident in Minnesota that turned into a summer of chaos, a summer of rioting, a summer of, uh, of divisiveness like we haven't seen before, added to the fact that this just happened to be, you know, a presidential election year. You, you, and, and we know how crazy that got and really kind of remains until Inauguration Day on January 20th. Um, you know, that's still one of the most chaotic things. If any one of those three things, you know, the summer of violence and racial unrest, 
the the COVID-19 pandemic and this crazy presidential year in which we've had a challenge to the election and allegations of, you know, fraud and this and that and the other, if those happen individually in any year, we call that a crazy year. To have all three of those types of things combine um, into the year 2020 makes this a year to remember that I w- I'm pretty certain many, many people would wish becomes a year to forget. Well, looking forward to 2021, just to change the year and to move on. We have the vaccine out there. We have at least a glimmer of a light at the end of the tunnel so that hopefully uh, through 2021, we're going to start returning to maybe those halcyon days back in January and February 2020, where, uh, like I mentioned, people were just doing their normal things, going to work, going to restaurants, going to movie shows, uh, vacationing, flying on airplanes. All of these things have changed uh, big time. Now, uh, I know I mentioned uh, in your introduction that I know you're, I asked you one time, well, how do you prepare for your show? And you say you're always preparing. You're just staying engaged in everything that's going on, uh, reading a lot, listening to the news, reading the news. And so in a way, you're a lightning rod where you're hearing all uh, sides of a story and uh, your opinion becomes very valid because you're the lightning rod for all of these stories. Uh, I noticed with the COVID situation, almost right off the bat, we get into uh, this this constant one side versus the other side situation where we have, how bad is the COVID pandemic? Uh, we have one side saying it's not that bad, the other side saying it's very bad. From your perspective, where, where do you think we are in that, now that we're like nine months into it? Well, um to be honest with you, Nick, um, I, I, I lean to the side of it being very bad, but not very deadly. And that might sound weird because you hear the numbers floated around of over 300,000 Americans who have died, you know, either from or with COVID. So how can you say it's not deadly? Well, the reason I say that is because, you know, the CDC says that, you know, it's, it's interesting. The one thing that both sides should be able to agree, agree upon, and it's a shame that there are sides you know, political sides to a health situation, but there are. The one thing that both sides should agree upon is we should listen to the scientists and the science. Now, the problem with that is the scientists and the science has been all over the place on this. The same individuals who told us one thing in March told us something different in June and maybe something altogether again in September and and December. Um, But we should all be able to agree with the fact that the CDC is probably the best authority in terms of, you know, talking about, A, the infective, uh, the uh, uh, infection rate uh, of this disease, and it's very highly infectious and transmissible, and the mortality rate. And the, the fact of the matter is, it's probably more infectious than they thought it was back in, in March, but it is less lethal. Uh, you know, the, the CDC has told us that we literally, if you're under the age of 70, you have a 99.97% rate of recovery from COVID-19 if you happen to become infected. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. You know, we're talking about a 0.03% chance of dying of this disease under the age of 70. The most vulnerable among our population, of course, are our seniors who have underlying health conditions or comorbidities, and even they have a survival rate, a recovery rate of around 95%. 
So we're not talking about, you know, polio, where there was a mortality rate of 5 to 15 to 20%. We're talking about something that is very, very infectious, and that makes it every bit as, quote-unquote, big of a problem as those on one political side say that it is. But on the other hand, it's not likely to take your life if you get sick. This isn't something that you have to hide from um, the way that I think a lot of people are, and I think that's what leads to the divide. Um, the science shouldn't be debatable. The science says mm-hmm. that it's very mm-hmm. infectious, but it is not very deadly, at least in terms of the, you know, the, the big picture. Well, yeah, the science is uh, apolitical. It is what it is. Uh, the, the consensus, though, I'm wondering, uh, I heard the figure that for people who are 16 over represents of those who are dying represents about 90%. I think the ODH, your Department of Health, put out that number the other day and mailing out to all seniors that, um, so it's still, there's a certain amount of lethality with regard to older people. But then the question is the the number, I think you mentioned earlier, or I heard it on your show earlier today, uh, is that the number of deaths, the rate of deaths is declining, which is a good thing. So the statistics, remember that one comment about statistics, there are lies, damn lies and statistics. (laughs) <laughs> Depending on what point we want to make, you know, we can give you some numbers that you want to hear. That is very true, and you know, that's the that's the most that's the one thing that I think. Again, if I look for commonalities between the two political sides of this, um, that we need to protect our most vulnerable people. And like you said, I, you know, I, I was quoting the survivability over age seventy, but you're talking about in the Ohio, in Ohio, at age age over age sixty, that's where the majority of the deaths are. And that is true. And that's why we need to take steps to make sure that we shield our most vulnerable people in that, you know, those age ranges without causing more problems for people under that age range. And what I mean by that, of course, is the, uh, you know, business closures, job layoffs, uh, depression rates through the roof, suicide attempts through the roof, drug overdoses, domestic violence uh, uh, cases, all of these things are are skyrocketing because of what other people have to deal with, uh, even though they may not be in a very vulnerable position to the virus. You know, it goes down to the, uh, you know, the question of is the cure worse than the disease in this case? And if you're over the age of 60 or if you know someone in your family who has succumbed to this virus, you'll say, no, the, the disease is far worse than the cure could ever be. But if you're among the people who are starving, and there are a lot of families who don't have, you know, their breadwinners bringing in money anymore, their unemployment has run out, they can't meet all of their bills, they have to choose between this bill and that bill, which one is the latest, which one isn't going to be shut off, which one is, you know, do we pay for the premiums on the insurance this month, or do we buy groceries? There's a lot of people who would say, you know, the cure for this for me and for my family has been far worse than the disease. I need to get back on a paying basis again. I need my job back. Business owners who have put up capital, you know, that they poured their whole lives into have shuttered their windows and doors forever. Not to be coming back in 2021, but they'll never come back because of all of the losses that they took. For those people, you know, the, 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 the cure has been far worse than the disease. So it's, you know... It's all a matter of perspective, Nick. Depends on where you sit and what you're facing. Well, we're going to come back. We're talking to Cleveland's own Bob France of the Bob France Authority right here in WHK. We're going to come back. We're talking about 2020 and what a year it was. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Can't get no 
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And we're very pleased to have with us tonight Bob France, Bob France Authority. Uh, if you don't know Bob France, you should listen to him every, and you can catch him any Monday through Friday on WHK uh, between 9 and 11. And uh, you'll, you'll find out what's going on, not only in Cleveland, but what's going on in the nation and the world. Uh, Bob, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. The uh, the pandemic, of course, 2020 is uh, everything in 2020 has been uh, influenced by the pandemic. And, and we were just about during the last segment to start talking about that nexus between the illness and protecting ourselves and getting through the illness and, and how much of the illness was around to dealing with how do we get to live with the pandemic. And, and it seems even now as we're ending 2020, we haven't really gotten that down straight yet as to how to live with the pandemic, keep our economy going, keep food on the table, and keep people from giving up hope and moving along. Uh, do you think we're closer now than before to understanding how to live with the pandemic and, and go out uh, and, and, and lead some kind of uh, civilized life? Well, um, the two words that I find most uh, disturbing uh, about all of this, to be honest with you, Nick, uh -huh. um, our new normal. Um, I, I bristle when I hear new normal, which means living with the pandemic, living with the knowledge that there's a pandemic and thus having to limit the places we can go, limit the people that we can see, limit our interaction with those people, whether we can be physical and hug people, whether we can shake hands, whether we can sit and have conversations with our faces two feet apart from one another without having some sort of a cloth over it. I, I don't want that to be the new normal. I don't want the, the new normal to exist. I want the normal to exist, which is human interactions, singing in our churches. You know, we've been banned from raising our voices, you know, as they say, lifting our voices unto the Lord. We can't sing in church because singing projects droplets farther than speaking does. I don't want that to ever be the normal. Um, I want, uh, you know, an end to all of the above. I want people's, and again, I'm not a doctor here any more than I'm a theologian, but I'm just going to kind of give it to you from the common sense standpoint that I come from. Uh, I want our bodies to do what God designed them to do. And that is, we have an immune system <clears throat> that has been made strong. It's why we can withstand just about any germs that enter our bodies. If we get sick a little bit, our body kills it with a fever to kill the, the virus. If we, you know, if we have problems, our body knows how through generations and eons of human evolution, you know, our body's evolution to the environment around us, our body knows how to fix things. So, and I'm not saying we shouldn't take any precautions, as we said the last segment about people uh, who are the most vulnerable to the virus. But, Nick, I want the, the, the human body to be allowed to do what it does. It, it gets sick. It, it takes disease. It takes virus. It creates antibodies. It fights it off so that we're that much stronger the next time around. I don't want to have us all living in plastic bubbles quite literally in some cases. You see restaurants around that have little oh, yeah, plastic yeah. bubbles for you to eat in with your family so you don't share some bubble the air with other people. Right. I don't want to be I don't want that to be the new normal. I don't want to live with a pandemic, Nick. I want to live normally in a post pandemic uh world. Well I, I agree. And and two things that I note from this whole situation. And we've been talking about COVID nineteen on the advocate ever since March when it happened. We have people from the 
health department on, we have doctors on, we have people from all different facets, we have legislators on, and uh, and, and a couple of things. Uh, as we try to discern what is reality and what is overblown or what is underblown, whatever, is that the responsibility for understanding what COVID-19 is really falls on our own shoulders personally. We have to understand the science, and once we understand the science, we can realize that even though we're supposed to wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask when you're in the car alone because who are you going to infect? You have to be smart about recognizing what the virus can do, how it's transmitted, and then regulate your life. And I think that the whole idea of the pandemic is just a big pause button from what we normally do. And I agree with you. I don't think we should just lay back and accept this as the new normal. But I, I think that what we need to do is to uh, look at how to be wise, how to incorporate science, and then how to get out of this. And I think we're on our way with the vaccine. Which, speaking of the vaccine, how does that sound to you with uh, all you're hearing with pros and cons and the, uh, the distribution network? Well, um, I, obviously, I am a believer in people being able to advocate, uh, advocate rather, I'm still your title there for a second, to advocate for their own health. <laughs> it's yours, so... <laughs> Uh, but, but uh, you know, to advocate for their own health decisions, um, I'm absolutely opposed to any kind of a forced vaccination. Um, again, I said in the last segment what the CDC numbers show about the mor- mortality rate of this virus. It is not high at all. In fact, it is very, very, very low. For, I want people to be able to say, you know what? Uh, I, I don't want to take a vaccine whose long-term effects are unknown at this time, and they are. It, it's impossible to know the long-term effects of a, of a vaccination until a long term has passed. You know, so six months, twelve months, eighteen months later, maybe if I say, okay, now that I see what the side effects have been in the vaccinated population, maybe I'll want to get that. But until then, I, I don't want to. I want people to be able to have the freedom to say that. I also want those who are a little bit more vulnerable, like we talked about, who may be at risk of succumbing to the virus if they get it, to maybe say, maybe I do want to get that. So I'm glad it's available. I hope it is used by the people who really believe it's right for them. But what I really hope, Nick, in 2021 is that we don't become a society that treats non-vaccinated people like they're lepers, as if they get into my airspace, I'm going to die because somebody who's not vaccinated is near me. And I fear that. That's a governmental thing or it's a business-driven thing, a commerce-driven thing where there are going to be businesses and uh, agencies that say you can't partake of our services, whether it be the airlines or the buses or the trains or, or, or shopping or getting to ball games and sit in crowds of people unless you have the vaccination. I don't think that's right. I think that's a violation of people's personal human rights and their civil rights. So I'm glad that a vaccine is available, and I hope many people who really feel it's right for them do partake in it and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and secure themselves. But I hope it doesn't become something where we are treated like, the, uh, you know, like, like lepers or outcasts, those of us who choose not to get the vaccine. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, in many years as a trial lawyer, I found that no matter what lawyers think on either side, they go before a jury of normal people you're going to come up with a common sense solution and result of that jury trial. And, and I think you, know, you, you can't force the round peg into the square hole by saying that everyone has to be uh, vaccinated because you're going to have the things that 
the dominant thought of the vaccination is going to be, like you say, for those who feel vulnerable, they're going to get it for self-protection purposes. 95% efficacy means that if they want to protect themselves from the virus, get the shot. If you're young and don't think it's going to be a problem and you end up not getting the shot, that will be human nature, not government edict. If people don't want to get it, they're not going to get it. And I don't see this country ever forcing it. But it's, I, it's I, do, I, do fear, I do fear the peer pressure part of it, though, Nick. And the, re, and the reason why is, you know, a lot of people have said that the mask issue is kind of a, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a testing ground, if you will, for things like forced vaccinations. Now, that not, they're, not that they're forcing people to put masks on, but they are denying them entry into public places if they don't have masks on. And the peer pressure for those who defy that and walk into a place without a mask uh, is, is intense. Uh, there are shouting matches. Sometimes it even gets physical. So there has been kind of a shaming of the unmasked, and I fear that that same shaming on steroids is going to happen to the unvaccinated uh, because we're kind of seeing that play out. Well, they're talking already about having smartphone applications that will carry your vaccination credentials. Yeah, uh, and I, I saw that. with QR codes and all of that. So, uh, and they've they've been doing that in China for some time. If you want to get on public transportation, you have to show your cell phone with the uh, with the with the green screen on it, showing that you're uh, that way. Well. Let's which which is exactly why I would be opposed to it, by the way. The day we start modeling our own policies and protocols after a communist nation uh, is a day that I think we've gone off the rails. So I hope we don't follow up uh, you know, China's lead in that regard. I don't think that the United States, I don't think Americans as a whole uh, are, are willing to do anything they don't want to do. <laughs> I think that's sort of the big problem with governments trying to wrangle and it's like herding cats. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have... As we've been watching, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk a lot about the uh, the election and all that. Maybe we can get together again as we watch uh, after January what happens. But um, in, in any event, we're out, we're out of time. I'd like to thank Bob France. Bob, thank you so much for sharing with us uh, your insights because I think they're I very all, valid. And I very always close. enjoy the conversation, Nick. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Thank you so very much. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, please. We'll make Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we have returning guest John Kersey, an associate professor at Cuyahoga Community College. Uh, who specializes in trying to make sense out of disinformation and how we're going to live with it. John, thank you for coming back. Always a pleasure, Nick. You're always so interesting. We never seem to have enough time. Uh, earlier today, you and I were talking. It would be nice to have an hour where uh, maybe we can do this live and take phone calls because uh, of the the interesting topic and the uh, suggestions we're going to talk about on how to deal with 2021 but uh, let's yeah. go over 2020 real, real quick 2020 we're taking the problems we've had in 2020 in chronological order we started in early 2020 with uh, covid vaccine the covid19 uh, virus and, and no vaccine and then on top of that we had the george floyd uh, unrest and that whole situation and then the third thing we had really is the election and Donald Trump surrounded with disinformation. Um, 
wow, that are those the three main issues, or are we missing something else? On the they are, effect? and perhaps they are, and perhaps the the third one maybe is the most significant because I think five, ten, twenty years from now, when people look back, twenty twenty is going to go down in history as the year when disinformation and disinformation campaigns forever changed elections in the world's leading democracy in the United States. And that was kind of the outgrowth of everything that happened leading up to the uh, November 3rd election, Nick. I, I made a note uh, when we talk about disinformation. I don't know if anyone's listening that this is a new term, but the concept of disinformation uh, is that we are constantly having doubt casted on what we're to believe and what don't we believe. And like it or not, it's here. Disinformation is with us. Can you give us a, a quick definition of what is this disinformation about that we're, we're seeing in our daily lives and, and how it's affecting us? Absolutely. Uh, think of a narrative. Think of a story that has a beginning and a middle and an end. And we can all think of Goldilocks and Mitzvah Bears or something like that. So disinformation starts with a, a narrative or a story where uh, there's a certain set of facts or information that's presented. And then the next thing that the disinformation campaigners do is they change something in that narrative. They take a kernel of uh, a truth and they make it a lie, or they twist it in a certain way or, or move it in a different direction. And then the third step that they take is to repeat, 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 say the same thing over and over and over and over again, and try to get people to believe the lie or the new narrative as being the true situation. Uh, that, in a nutshell, is what disinformation campaigns are all uh, aiming to do. You know, a new term we heard back in 2017 was uh, justifying a different set of facts by calling them alternative facts, and we have a right to have our version of alternative facts. Is that really believed now by by anyone? Nick, fake news and then the, the subsequent term alternative facts, they've both been around for a while. Uh, you really got to go back and, you know, the whole movement toward disinformation really came out of the Cold War. And it had been practiced even before then. But the, the, the Soviet Union got extremely adept at taking a little bit of truthful information, twisting it around, and then presenting it in a false light. Uh, perhaps the most famous incident in the early 1980s is when uh, the Soviet Union tried to claim that uh, the AIDS uh, virus uh, came out of a military laboratory in the United States. And they were so successful in propagating that lie that there are still elements of the culture that repeat that today. But for them, it culminated with a report on the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather saying something about that in the late 1980s. So that, that's kind of like the goal back then. Today, they don't need the regular media anymore because they've got a more complicit ally in social media and they have assistance, so to speak. People like you and me, if we see something that mm -hmm. we don't look at and don't pay attention to and don't really kind of investigate and then share or propagate it with other people, then we become part of the, uh, the, the, the chain that t takes the fake story and kind of brings it to life. So that's how disinformation works in 2021. We we talked about a couple of things over the time, and uh, you know, there's still issues. Now that we have a vaccine out, we have uh, sort of a resurgence and maybe an expansion of the anti-vaxxers. Um, who's promoting that? Uh, and you know, the Bill Gates conspiracy and the anti-vaxxers. What what is that? You know, about? that's that's a great way to go. Um, if you go back to March when the coronavirus kind of first surfaced and got everybody's attention. There were like four different um, waves of disinformation that were coming out on many levels. 
And the first one is just what you described, the anti-vaxxers who come up with conspiracy theories and Bill Gates and so on and so forth were pretty prominent out front there in the early version. And they're still around. And now what they're trying to do is cast dispersions on the efficacy of this, the new vaccines. So that, that's kind of what we're dealing with in the beginning of 2021. Uh, over and above that, we have Russia, who was basically trying to point the finger at everybody else about how the virus started. And then you have China, who was covering up the origin of the virus, uh, blaming everybody else, and then refusing to be open and sharing information about uh, how the virus originated and how it might be transmitted, and much, much worse. So those are the three main ones. And then you got minor characters, and, I, and by this I mean uh, Iran, North Korea, uh, different groups of doctors uh, who have maybe their own agenda and might be kind of advocating disinformation all about the coronavirus. So what that's done, in my opinion, is driven down the public's trust in the overall public health system in the United States. So fewer percentages of people are less inclined to take the coronavirus vaccine than they were to take the polio vaccine uh, 60 years ago, for example. I remember taking that vaccine, and I remember how we took it. We took it in sugar cubes, and all the parents had all of us kids and marched us into a school, and unquestioningly, we took it. lines at school. Science said to take it, and it eradicated yeah. and stopped the proliferation of polio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it sort of goes back to the same issue we, I'm always questioning, and that is the question is, why do people buy these stories so readily and reject science? And just going back to the vaccine issue, the anti-vaxxers and, and Bill Gates. Bill Gates has been accused of starting the virus, uh, capitalizing and uh, making lots of money on the vaccine, putting metal flakes, uh, microscopic metal chips in the vaccine for <laughs> tracking purposes. The G5 uh, wireless uh, system now being associated with the virus, uh, the, the profits everyone's making. And where, where does this all come from? Are, are, have you been able to track any of these down to one of these foreign sources? There are people that are tracking some of this. You mentioned the 5G. That specifically is coming from uh, Russia and Russia disinformation campaigns. And that's kind of actually morphed because decades ago it was uh, cell phone cell phone radiation causes cancer. And now it's kind of morphed to, oh, 5G it could carry the coronavirus, which, of course, is just absolutely preposterous. But I, I think part of it is that there has been some governmental confusion about the coronavirus itself. And, again, it's understandable. Uh, nobody had the absolute answer in terms of what would stop the virus. My goodness, I'd like to think that if we had an absolute one one solution, that President Trump and Governor DeWine and everybody else would have said, let's implement that one solution. But there hasn't been one solution. So we've done mask and not mask and social distancing does seem to be effective. You know, uh, lockdowns, don't do lockdowns, go to school, don't go to school. You know, I think that uncertainty kind of feeds into the disinformation uh, streams. So people say, gee, the government doesn't even know what to do. So maybe this thing I'm seeing on my social media feed on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok is correct. You know, so well, I, I well, think that, that, share... that, that makes it worse. All right, let me, let me share one thought I have because I'm unmasking and the original government position on masking. And, and what this points out to us, the initial government position on masking is don't wear the N95s, don't wear the mask because they're not going to do anything. The virus is too small. It will penetrate everything. So everybody, right at that point, based on what the government was saying, was don't wear a mask. Yet at the same time, 
we were hearing that there was a terrible shortage of PPE, personal protection equipment. There was a shortage of masks. All masks that are available should go to our healthcare providers and our first responders. And then later on, when the PPE became more plentiful and available, we hear that masks are good. Wear masks. You should be wearing masks all the time. Well, the problem with that chronology is that it tells everybody, did the government initially mislead us and lie to us? Just so, you know, if they would have told us the truth, give your mask up to the first responders and the healthcare providers. That's not saying the same thing as the masks don't do any good. How can they recover from that apparent real problem? That's part of today's problem in 2021, Nick, is you may not be able to recover from a bad initial uh, posturing and position. Uh, I think what's telling here, oh, and maybe what people... Well, John, let me interrupt for just a moment because we're going to have to take a quick break here. But we're talking uh, to Associate Professor John Kersey on disinformation that we're getting all the time. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, please, when Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Oh, we're so pleased to have with us John Kersey, Professor John Kersey from Cuyahoga Community College, who's joining us again trying to help us understand the role of disinformation in our culture, in our society, and how we deal with it with dealing with all the problems we're faced with. And John, as always, it's a real pleasure having you with us tonight. Thank you. Now, before the last break, we uh, were talking about uh, essentially the issue that the government told us masks were no good, they were not going to be helpful, and now they're telling us that this helpful. That has caused an official, undisputed breach of trust. How are we going to get over that now that we're looking at people still going along with masks aren't any good? We have large populations running around celebrating holidays without distancing without masks. How do we get over this? How do we bring people back into the fold of science, scientific reality? Yeah. Efficacy and results are one good way. If lots and lots and lots of people get the vaccine and lots and lots and lots and lots of people are inoculated and the numbers go down significantly for the coronavirus, people will regain trust in the process and the science behind it. Uh, I've done my own assessment and feel that the uh, vaccines are extremely effective have been produced an unbelievably record amount of time, and the, the science behind it is rock solid. Uh, but I think it, it's going to take a large segment of the population to, to get the vaccination and report that they're doing great, and that's going to happen. I do think that key influencers like uh, healthcare workers, doctors, uh, nurses, uh, people in nursing homes, uh, people that we're kind of giving the first shots to can, can go a long way in doing that by being very public about hey, I'm protected and I'm not getting the coronavirus. I think if that happens by February or March, you're going to see lots and lots and lots and lots of people saying, hey, I want to get that vaccine. Well, the science shows that that is probably going to work. And I think we just have to keep uh, doing things like we're doing tonight, and that's talking about these issues and uh, letting people know that the science is still going to rule the day, whether we like it or not. And politics will not control the virus. 
no matter how much you think it does. But, you know, going through the summertime, we had everybody on edge with regard to the coronavirus. We had lockdowns. We had social distancing. We had restaurants, bars, amusement parks, everything disrupted. And then we had the George Floyd situation, the uh, the video that everyone will remember watching someone killed, literally, on video. And that has also been the fodder for disinformation. Can you share with us some of the disinformation that's surrounding the George Floyd situation? Can't get over the death is a horrible thing. Yes. But what, how's yes. That being, how's and, that being abused? Yeah. And and leaving aside the horror of, the, of, of that actions in Minneapolis, it's important to note that when the Black Lives Matters had the major protest movements back in 2015 and 2016, researchers were able to document that uh, Russian disinformation campaigners using fake Twitter and fake Facebook accounts actually fanned the flames of racial divisiveness by posing as whites, posing as blacks, and putting inflammatory things in social media. We know that happened back then. We believe it happened again in 2020. What's more significant in my mind is a different social media platform called TikTok, which lots of young people in their teens and 20s use. There were millions of views on video in TikTok in June of 2020 uh, to describing in great detail how to riot, uh, how to take actions against police departments, and so on and so forth. Our researchers now believe that some of these videos were produced by disinformation campaign emanating from China. And what that means, basically, is that foreign nations are, are basically trying to meddle in the internal affairs of the United States and and pit one element of our society and our country off against another. Well, what's their goal other than when we talk about the goals of countries like Russia, China, and Iran and North Korea, a destabilized, disrupted, uh, problematic United States, that affects, affects them both militarily, politically, and economically. Uh, is is that accurate? Is that what I'm seeing properly? The bigger goal is to basically to weaken the United States by making us less united and more divided about various topics. Uh, gee, uh, was the 2020 election divided? Divisive, <laughs> or was it a unifying force? Uh, gee, do people agree or disagree about the outcome of the election? Uh, these are all examples of kind of like the big long-term goals of these foreign nations that are involved in disinformation efforts. And it's important to point out that, uh, no, uh, China didn't, you know, have uh, people underground encouraging Black Lives Matter people to come out and protest. It's much more insidious than that. They're basically disguising their actions on social media, and they're being insiders. They're being the people that are trying to spur other people on to commit the, the acts of aggression. And that's what leads to divisiveness in the country when these acts happen and people react either in support of or against what's, what's going on in protests and riots. In undermining our constitutional system and how we elect presidents, uh, there's so much divisiveness going on uh, right now as far as whether or not the Electoral College is valid, whether the votes are valid. There, there has been no legalistically solid evidence to prove that uh, the selection for the president uh, was going to result in anything other than what the actual results of the votes were. 
yet we have people fighting to the very last moment that uh, this is a fraudulent election. How much of that is the result of disinformation from foreign governments? Some of it is disinformation from foreign governments, and I believe some of it is actually internally motivated by both major political parties. You know, you make an interesting observation, Nick. Um, Most listeners of The Advocate are going to be surprised to hear this. Uh, There were more than 300 lawsuits that were filed about the 2020 election long before November came along. They were being done in the individual states, and they were being done not exclusively, but mainly by Democratic Party and Democratic Party interests. Uh, trying to basically expand the electorate, uh, change the rules for when early voting could be, change the rules for absentee ballots, uh, change the rules for how ballots were verified, and so on and so forth. Uh, all those lawsuits and all that, uh, all that legal activity uh, really didn't get any media coverage because the media was much more focused on the coronavirus at that point in time. But the net result of all of that contributed to the outcome of the election. Uh, and, uh, you could say with, with, you know, be, being very straight faced and, and honest about it, uh, President Trump warned people that opening up the ballots in this way could lead to trouble. And he was prescient in what he said. Uh, having said that, uh, what's happened since the election, I think is pretty much just what you had uh, alluded to. Uh, there's been lots of lawsuits and legal action, but nobody has any hard proof of something that happened. But it, it's also a kind of akin to the idea that the horse is long out of the barn door gate, maybe even out of the whole yard, and it's very difficult to go back and try to put it back in, so to speak. Well, I think that if there's any lesson to learn from 2020, it's that the uh, maybe the somewhat foreseeable things that are happening now are uncontrollable. As things uh, basically you know, go, go on and on, just spiraling out of control in the political sense as well as even the the coronavirus sense at this point. Uh, Are there any strategies you see for 2021 that we should all try to implement somehow? Where do we look for the truth if there there is such a way of doing that? Yeah. Well, well, two things I think when we, we, we aim going forward for 2021, and the first is to be skeptical about everything that you see. Look for three or four or five different sources, maybe from varying points of the political spectrum that might support something that you see before you share it on social media. Uh, mentioned to you earlier that there was a, a woman who was a citizen journalist who went to Wuhan in February and was writing stories about what was going on on the street there and what the government was doing and what the political party was doing. And she got sentenced to four years in jail uh, just last week in a court in Shanghai. And I put something about that on social media, and much to my shock, Facebook challenged it. So I put the Wall Street Journal link and the CBS News link and the Reuters link and all the different story links on it. I had five or six different stories that all said the same thing. And the challenge just disappeared because it was obvious that it was many, many sources that were reporting the same story. So yeah, that is main, one main thing. Yeah, I think the bigger issue, though, that we've got to really think about in 2021 is Something I, I teach my students, and it's, it's four simple words. It's actually three words. There are two words repeated. Uh, who decides who decides? Are we going to let Mark Zuckerberg, and are we going to let uh, Jack Dorsey and all the people who operate uh, social media make decisions about what stories get stopped and what stories go forward? Or are we as a society going to say, you know what, we need to come up with a better way to uh, keep track of what's really going on and what's truthful in the world? 
and let's be um, leery, of, highly leery of I the people agree, in social media we're, we're, and, and look at other ways to, to communicate. We're going to have to leave those questions hanging for next time. But uh, thank you so much. John Kersey, thank you. We're definitely going to have to have you on again, talk more about getting us through this disinformation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, safe, and healthy week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea.